I want you to feel the tension of this setting in, in verses 16 and 17. I want you to picture the scene. The disciples see Jesus resurrect, and they fall on their faces and worship him. The very same guys that dipped on him days before. They come back around, and everything that he said he would do and everything that um, he told them would be done was done. <laughs> And the ones that fled away in fear were emboldened by the Spirit, emboldened by a resurrected Jesus, that their lives were drastically changed. Right? These same men that fled would now eventually all give their lives for the sake of Jesus. They would become martyrs, apart from the Apostle John. I think he just died on Patmos maybe, right? But it says some still didn't believe. Right, and we could sit here this morning and be like, what idiots. Right? They still didn't believe. They just saw him die, literally die, buried in the grave for three days, come back to life, and some still didn't believe. This is the scene that Jesus is beginning to share these words. This is the time where he's about to commission them to go out to a crowd that some worshiped and some still didn't believe. And he would entrust these people with this mission. Right? And, and that's exactly what Jesus is still doing to this day. Right? He uses weak and sinful men like you and me to take this message to a desperate and dying and burdened and sinful world. He's still using the weak and feeble. He's still using those that still doubt. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That this, we're the people that he's entrusted this message with? Look around the room for a second. Yeah. You're like, he might have chose me, but he didn't choose that guy. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but this doesn't seem like a great way to start a worldwide movement. No money, no buildings, <laughs> no programs. But they went, and God used them so mightily. By the time we get to Acts 17, if you look at Acts 17, 6, I don't even think I have it on the, on the board this morning. They're in Thessalonica, and this is what report that the Thessalonians give. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Imagine that being said about the church today. Imagine that those words being said about Brandywine Grace or Providence Church Coatesville this morning. That that church has turned the world upside down in Downingtown. I'm here to tell you this morning that this same message and that same gospel is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus still wants to turn the world upside down with this powerful message. But how does he do it? How does he use weak and feeble men and women like you and me 2,000 years later after he's gone up to heaven to change the world and turn it upside down? I got three ways this morning. If you're a note taker, I'll give you the cheat code up front. My first point is this. We must believe the claim that Jesus makes. We must obey the commission Jesus gives, and we must embrace the comfort Jesus shares. Are you with me? All right, let's break it down. Verse 18. 
Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. This isn't the commission. This is actually a claim. Right? We must believe the claim that Jesus makes. Right? Verse 18 being the claim, not the commission. The commission rests on the claim. If 18 isn't true, we might as well forget about 19 and 20. Right? So we have to start here. Jesus basically says, before I, need to, before I tell you what I need to tell you today, right? We need, to, we need to understand something that's pretty important. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Right? Listen, I want you to understand the scope and the magnitude of Jesus' authority. Right? He has all authority. Do you know what all is in the Greek? All. Thank you. Right? It's all, it's all his. He has it all. He doesn't need our help. Right? He has all authority. If he has all authority, church, how much does that leave us? None. <laughs> right? Everything submits to his authority. And our mission on earth starts with believing this claim. That it's all his. But what does that mean? It means that he's sovereign. Right? It means that he has the power and authority to do anything he desires to do. And if we don't recognize him for being sovereign, for having all authority, then we can have the tendency to make little or take lightly what he says. Isn't that true? Do we really believe what he says? Right? I'm here to tell you this morning that this passage isn't optional. Right? It isn't just for a few. Right? A lot of times, we've heard this message preached so many times that we turn the Great Commission into a small suggestion. This isn't friendly advice. Right? He's reminding us of what he's called us to do. Right? And, and so many of us claim that Jesus is our friend, but we don't look to him as our sovereign Lord, as having all authority. Right? And if he's just our friend then this turns into just friendly advice. And he is our friend. So don't be like, Josh, he is our friend. Yes, he is our friend, right? But I got good friends that give me advice all the time, and I don't listen, right? Don't we? Especially when it comes to health stuff, right? Like, Josh, you need to go get that checked out. Like, I'm good. <laughs> this isn't friendly advice. So if we're going to take this seriously, we must believe the claim that Jesus makes, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Is he who he says he is? Is he sovereign? Is he Lord of all? And if he is, why do we keep trying to take that authority from him? My second point is this. We'll camp out here for a little bit. We must obey the commission Jesus gives. We must obey the commission Jesus gives. And he gives us four commands here. To make disciples, to baptize, and to teach and to obey. All right, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach and to obey. So let's break it down. First and foremost, go therefore. He says to go. Right? This is a command. This isn't an optional thing. This is the command to go. And if you look at the Greek, it actually means as you are going. I like the translation that says, having gone, right? Having gone, like as you are going, having gone, which basically means this is a lifestyle thing. 
right? This is something that we're not having to wait for. It's not like we're waiting for the commissioning to go and make disciples. The commission has already happened, right? If you've been saved in here this morning, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, right? The old has passed away. The new has come, right? He says, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men, right? It goes with the territory. It comes along with it. You are already You have already been sent. We are sent ones. We are on mission. As we are going, we are to make disciples. And our going just isn't for the pastors. It just isn't for the youth workers. It's not for the staff or for the missionaries. Shoot, our going just isn't for the missions trips for one week in the summertime. It's for all of us. Someone once said you can't spell the word gospel without the word go. (laughs) We're going. And notice that he doesn't ask the world to come to the church. (laughs) The church is commanded to go. But the unfortunate reality today, especially here in America, that we keep waiting for the church to walk in those, I mean the world to walk in our back door, don't we? Guess what? They're not coming unless we go to them first. Especially because we've let many of them down by not going or going with the wrong message or going without the gospel or going without the love of Christ. We've messed it up so much. But this is the call to go, not come and see. There used to be a church that my dad would preach at that had a sign on the door, a going church for a coming Christ. That church doesn't exist anymore. We can have all the cliche phrases and words in the world. We can know this passage by heart and still not obey it and still not go. And we can sit here on a Sunday morning and say, man, I want to serve Christ. I want to be on mission. I want to love the world and yet never walk out these doors on mission for Jesus. Until we realize that that's first priority, having gone, is something about who we are. It's not what we do. Christians go because that's who we are. It's in our DNA to go and to make disciples. It's in our DNA to go and preach the gospel. It's in our de- it's in our DNA to go and love our neighbors. Is it? Don't look at me dead this morning. Come on. I thought you guys were reform uh, charismatics, man. <laughs> we make disciples by going. So he says go. The second command is make disciples. It's an imperative verb. It's something that we must do. It's for all of us. I like what J.D. Greer says. I think it's on the board. Christ did not come to make Christians. (laughs) He came to make disciples. Discipleship is not one of the church's various ministries. It's not something that the paid staff do. Discipleship is who we as the church are at our very core. Do you believe that this morning? But so many times we we reduce discipleship and disciple making to classes in the church. (laughs) to programs, to missions trips. 
right? We had a, a, a dear woman come to our church a few years ago. And she said, Josh, you always talk about disciple making and discipleship. Well, where's the class? Where do I sign up? <laughs> Every church I've ever been a part of, we have discipleship class. And I'm like, no, we don't have a discipleship class here. <laughs> it's just who we are. Right? We're called to go and make disciples. Your life is the class. <laughs> and your going is the curriculum. With the word. We like to define disciple-making this way, and I'm sorry I don't have it on the slide, but just listen, and I'll read it twice. And you might have a discipleship or disciple-making definition here that you guys use, so this isn't the greatest one in the world. This is just the one that we use at Providence Coast School. We define disciple-making as our capacity to lovingly embody the person and work of Jesus and to transmit him into the life of other believers. Let's say that again. We define disciple-making as our capacity to lovingly embody the person and work of Jesus and to transmit him into the life of others. Right? Disciple-making is what we do when we walk through life together. It's how we show love to one another. It's how we pray and study the Bible. It's how we grow in Christ. It's how we lead others to Christ. It's intentionally equipping others to believe and know and love the word of God. It's accountability in relationships through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? It's replicating the life of Christ to others. It's bearing fruit by being like Jesus to others. It's life on life. Someone once said, if it takes a village to raise a child... It takes a church to make a disciple. So we need each other. Believe it or not, you need this church. I also like to say in Coatesville that, and this is something my mentor would always tell me, discipleship or disciple making isn't a ministry of the local church. It is the ministry of the local church. Do you believe that this morning? You know, research suggests that 90%, this is a Barna thing. I don't know if you know Barna or trust Barna. <laughs> this is a Barna uh, study that 90% of Christians will never share their faith and thus have no desire to make disciples. So however many people are here this morning, you take 10% of this room right now, that 10% is the only ones doing the work that this passage is talking about. That's an indictment, isn't it? And I hate to tell you, moms and dads, that dragging your kids to church on a Sunday morning isn't the best discipleship. <laughs> it's part of it. It's not the only discipleship. It starts in the home. I was talking to Gabe this morning, and, he, and we were talking about this very t subject. And, you know, he's like, Josh, how many guys are you pouring into? And, and, and um, you know, we're talking about trying to find a balance between how to, you know, pour your life into others well. But now that we have families and children and wives, like, how do we find that balance? And I said, man, I, I got about five or six guys that I pour into every single week. But you know what? A lot, of, a lot of my relationships have taken a back seat because 
I'm a dad to three kids now. 14, about to be 11, and a one and a half. Right? Guess where I'm deciding? A lot of my discipleship is happening in my house. (laughs) Thank God for the church. Right? Thank God that my kids can go to church every Sunday and have a children's ministry. Have adults that love on them and pour pour into their lives. And my son, who's 10, um, is understanding what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. You know what my son does at 10 years old at our church? See, we don't have a ton of children's ministry workers. So guess who runs our children's ministry? Children. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably like, Josh, you're crazy. We would never do that. But you know what? My 10-year-old son gets to pour into the four- and five-year-olds at our church. He gets to teach them the lesson on a Sunday night. Man, that's discipleship, isn't it? That's not my idea. We just have a dope children's ministry director that's like, we're going to, our kids are going to serve our kids. And we went to the Orange Conference last year, which is the big children's ministry thing. You know what the Orange people did? They brought all of our kids up on stage and like, this, this should be a testimony and a lesson for all of us that are trying to get children's ministry right. This is discipleship right here. It's making disciples. Parents, we got to do it. Something else we do at my church, and I believe it's being done here, but when you become a member, do you, got, you guys have membership, covenant membership here? So when you become a member at Providence Church Coatesville, you get a member uh, form that you have to fill out. I want to know your bank statement. No, I'm joking. I don't know. <laughs> you know what the question that we ask that we really want answered on that covenant membership is who are you responsible for and who is responsible for you? And I believe that every Christian, every follower of Jesus should be able to answer those two questions. Who are you responsible for and who is responsible for you? And you have to be able to answer both, because I think a lot of us like to say who we're responsible for, right? But we don't want to be responsible to somebody else, don't we? Right? We love keeping other people accountable, but as soon as somebody tries to hold us accountable, we're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you responsible for, and who's responsible for you? I want to pause right now and just have you think that those two questions in your mind right now. Because if I'm praying to the Lord this morning to say, Lord, help us to leave this room different than when we came in. I think that's one way. That's a practical way. That's an application for the message this morning is who's pouring into my life right now, right? And who am I pouring my life into? That's discipleship. It's life on life, right? Can you answer those two questions this morning? There's probably godly men and women in here this morning that can't answer those questions, Because I know there's godly men and women in my church that can't answer those questions. There's points and times in my life as a pastor, right, that I can't answer both of those questions the way that I need to be. So who's responsible for you this morning? Who's holding you accountable? Who are you you allowing to speak life into you? To love on you, to pray with you. Who's, who's someone that you can share your burdens with? Not gossip to about, but to share the, the deep things of your heart to. Do you have that? And fellas, let, can I talk to the fellas real quick? The ladies just kill us when it comes to this stuff. 
We have our men's and women's retreats in May. Our women's retreat is packed. Packed to the full. Like every woman in our church is pretty much signed up for our women's retreat, and there's others that are coming. I looked at our men's sign-up. Guess how many men signed up? Three. <laughs> Me being one, so two. I'm like, guys, I put it on a barcode last Sunday. Get out your phones, right? Scan the barcode. Sign up right now. One person held up their phone. And he was like, I got an Android. This doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) But who are you responsible for and who's responsible for you? If you can't answer that question this morning, I challenge you. To find somebody today or come and talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders of the church and say, hey, listen, I really desire another brother to be able to pour into my life. Can you find me somebody? Or you might be here this morning and say, you know what? God's been so good to me. He's been so faithful. I just want to use what little I know to pour my life into another person here. Is there somebody that's looking to be discipled this morning? Is there, looking, is there somebody in the church that's looking for somebody to pour into them? I'd, I'd love to be that person. Don't walk out these doors without doing that this morning because we need it. Don't we need it? This life is hard as it is without people loving on us and pouring into us. This life is as hard as it is with, without having the, a loving local church surrounding us and pastors that pray for us. Life is tough. We need one another. I like to say the word withness. I don't think it's a word, but I always make up words being a pastor sometimes. But withness. I think in order to be a witness, we first have to have some withness. We need to be with one another. It starts with withness. In order to empower us to go. And it says to go. Make disciples of all nations. This is the third little sub point. Not just a few. All nations. Right. And this starts. Sometimes we think of all nations like man. I guess I got to go on the mission field. Don't we? Oh I guess I got to sign up for the missions trip this summer. No all nations is. The people that come home and get off the bus and come into your house every single day, it's your kids, right? It's your neighbors. It's Good Neighbor Day. (laughs) You still have that in Downingtown, Good Neighbor Day? Right? It's your community. But it's also the nations, right? Do you pray for the nations? Do you pray that the gospel would continue to go forth? I just read this past week that there's 170,000 people in prison in North Korea for their faith in Jesus Christ. It would put us to shame. And we don't even have to go. The nations have come to us. Right? You, you, you already said it this morning. How do we reach the Hindu people that are just coming in droves into this area? You can't go anywhere in Exton without seeing 
people from those nations, Sri Lankan and India, and, and, and God has given us a mission field right in our own backyard. Right? So we need to pray that God would raise up a people, that God would raise up our, our hearts to, to go to people that he's putting on our doorsteps. This past year as a church, we've had the privilege of uh, having a residency with two church planters. Ernest B. Bang, he's from Cameroon, him and his wife Monica. They've already planted eight churches. And here I am, like, trying to teach him how to be a church planter. I'm like, Ernest, can you just come teach me something? But guess where they're planting a church at? In Downingtown. And they're actually meeting in, in Chester Springs right now. They're actually meeting right now. At a little uh, chiropractor's office in Chester Springs. And I went there a few weeks ago, and it was full of African immigrants, people that have come from Cameroon, from um, you name it, Liberia, a lot of Liberian people, right? That's, they're, they're, they're in our own backyards. I'm like, Ernest and Monica, man, we, we got to come alongside of you. We got to pray that the Lord would empower you and use you to reach a community that many people aren't, that we just walk right by. There's another church, re church planting resident, Tiago and Annalie Lima. You could be praying for them. They're planting in northeast Philly. I'm going down there on Tuesday to go just walk through their neighborhood. And they're from Brazil. And in the last few years, over 36,000 Brazilians have come to northeast Philadelphia for work. I'm like, man, we even got to go to Brazil. Brazil came here. <laughs> right? And, and Tiago and Annalie are, are going and... and Prayerfully, this year, when they finish their residency with us, they're going to be planting a church in northeast Philly to, uh, to reach the Brazilian population that's there, that's continually growing. Where there's not many solid churches in northeast Philadelphia that, uh, that are reaching those types of people. I'm trying to think of the language they speak. Um, Portuguese. Just had a brain fart. <laughs> Portuguese-speaking people. The nations have come to us. Go, make disciples of all nations. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? We baptized. We prayed around the big baptism. Uh, that, was that, that was what was in there, right? That big metal container. Right? Have you guys done baptisms this year? Last Sunday? See? Man, you're following the Great Commission, aren't you? Baptizing. Right? Once you make disciples... You're, you mark disciples with a new identity. That's what baptism does, right? It's identifying with the body of Christ, right? It's just saying, listen, I'm publicly saying that I'm a new believer. I'm a follower of Jesus now, right? Now, baptism doesn't save. I know they don't preach that here, right? But it's just an outward display of what Christ has already done inside of you, right? Right, and we celebrate that. But you know why we have baptisms? We have baptisms because people get saved, right? You know how many baptisms happen a year in America? It's going less and less and less and less and less every single year. Less people are being baptized. You know what that tells me? There's less people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You know what it also tells me? There's less people going and therefore making disciples of all nations. Right? And so he says to baptize, right? All nations. It's, it's incredible. All nations to one family. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That I can go to, uh, 
to Ernest's church this morning, and, and they don't even have musicians yet. All they have is two drums. It's incredible. The worship is just so powerful. It's just their beautiful voices all in harmony and two drums. And they march up and down the aisles, and it's incredible. And I'm like, man, that's my family right there. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't eat like me. But that's the family. We become one. We become a family. All nations to one identity, to one family, our new identity. And he says in the Father, Son, and Spirit, that's where our identity is. It's found in the Godhead. This past year, uh, I'm sorry, a year ago in March, I had an opportunity to go to Israel for the first time in my life. Anybody been to Israel before? You guys have never been? Take an offering after church and send them. <laughs> um, I've never been. My dad's 73 years old. He's never been. That's my goal right now is to get my dad to go before he passes. But uh, when I was in Israel, and I'm reading some of these, I had a chance to read through the Gospels while I was there. And I had a chance to, to preach this exact, not this exact message, but this exact passage. I'm like, man, how when in, in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes down and all these people come to faith in Christ and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord, how did they baptize? Right? We, just outside the temple, I forget what side it is. I'm not an Israel expert, so forgive me if you are. Right? I don't want anybody coming up to me after the service and be like, Josh, uh, as a matter of fact, you were wrong in saying this. Right? <laughs> but somewhere outside of the temple is a whole bunch of pools, cleansing pools. that they, they, People would have to cleanse themselves before they entered the temple to worship, right? And there is literally maybe hundreds, I'm not sure, but just everywhere, these deep, empty now pools with a couple steps into it. I'm like, how did, how did they baptize everybody? Well, they did it just right there. They had, all, they had hundreds of cleansing pools. Thousands of people were getting saved. They, guess what? They got baptized. It was so incredible to see, right? I'm like, man, they were following the Great Commission, they were doing it, baptizing, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey. This is the fourth point. Obey what? All that he commands, right? His word. That's why discipleship is a process, right? We bring people to faithful maturity by teaching them the word of God. That's how it happens, folks. And guess what happens when we don't teach the word of God? It's impossible to bring people to faithful maturity in Christ without the word. It comes hand in hand to obey the word, to obey what he commanded. Teaching the word of God. There's a lot of churches today that have good worship, dynamic preaching, flashy buildings. They can draw the crowd real easily, can't they? Right? But they're not making disciples. Why? Because they're not teaching the word. Many of them. I shouldn't say all of them. I'm not here to bash the church, but I'm here to say that a lot more churches need to be faithful to teaching the scriptures. Right? The church needs faithful biblical preaching. We got to teach the truth of God's word, even when it's hard to hear. I got to preach the end of John 15 tonight. When after Jesus gets done saying how much he loves the disciples and how important it is for, for them to love one another and how that he won't give them, or they'll have anything that they ever ask in his prayer and, and all these wonderful things. Then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. 
oh yeah, they hated my father too. That's going to be a tough passage to preach tonight. Wasn't it tough when you guys preached it, whoever did? I'm like, man, the world's going to hate us. Well, how's the world going to hate us? Because we're going to preach the word of God. And guess what? The word of God has some tough things for us to hear sometimes. Doesn't it? So we've got to preach the word. Look at what Paul says to the Ephesians at the end of Acts, Acts 20. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why is he innocent? Look at verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Listen, I didn't mince words. I told you what the word of God says. And Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm standing here today, right, without regret, without a doubt knowing, right? I'm not guilty of not sharing the word of God. Guess what? There's a lot of churches today that are guilty of not spreading the word of God. They're not preaching the word of God. Churches. Come on. And we teach more than just for people to know. It's for people to do as well. To live it out. There's a lot of us in this room, including myself, that have a lot of head knowledge. We grew up in the church, right? We grew up around great Bible teachers. And guess what? We can probably quote a lot of scripture. We probably know a lot of good theology, right? We can probably go toe-to-toe with some people that think they know something, but we're like, man, I got you on this one, right? We can have the arrogance of knowing God's word, don't we? But there's a difference between knowing it and doing it, living it out. Right? And loving one another while we do it. I'm not here this morning to beat you over the head with the word of God. Some of you need beat over the head with the word of God. I'm just going to be honest. Right? But it's to know it and to believe it and to live it. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Are we doing it? And not just on a Sunday morning. Because we're good at doing it Sunday morning between 11 and 12 a.m. or where p.m. We can't grow as disciples if we're not obedient to God's word. So we teach more than just to know, but also to do. And when we, all, we also teach it that way, we love Jesus more. When we love Jesus more, we love his word more. When we love his word more, we're going to love others more. My dad would always say, man, the word of God, Josh, will drive you to lost people. It'll continue to drive you to lost people. You stay in the word, it's going to drive you to lost people. Then he would say the flip, flip side of that coin. He'd say, you know what lost people would do? Drive you right back to the word of God. They go hand in hand. The word should drive us out. The word should drive us to go. And when we go, guess what? We're like, man, I need help. God, help me obey your word. My last point. Are we good on time? My last point. Embrace the comfort Jesus shares. This is the, the icing on the cake. Jesus says, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Remember, I'm with you. I'm with you always. He's with us. Do you realize that? He is personally with us. He's here right now. He's living inside of us. He's with us. 
We have access to him. So guess what? We can stop stressing a little bit this morning because he's with us. We don't go by ourselves. He's with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Right? He's with us as we go. Church, I want you to know this morning that Jesus is with you. Talk about the word withness. That's the withness. <laughs> He's with us this morning. Remember, I'm with you. I don't send you alone. I don't send you empty-handed. I don't send you without hope. I don't send you without a mission. I'm with you. He's with us this morning. I don't know about you, but I need reminded of that often. Pastoral ministry can be so discouraging. And as I was studying, that was the best part for me this week. God, just thank you. Thank you for reminding me that you're with me. That I'm not alone. Isn't it so easy to feel alone? It is. There's so many people in the world today inside the church and outside the church, that feel alone. You might be in here this morning, and you're like, Josh, you're right. I feel alone this morning. We had uh, Brandon Graham with the Eagles come and speak at Coatesville and Octorera this past week. And he, he's a good brother in Christ, loves the Lord, and, and he could talk, man. I tell you, he could talk more than I can talk. You know, pastors can just ramble. He some, one of the kids were like, wow, man, he had one sentence that last seven minutes. <laughs> but at Octorare, 9th through 12th grade, all in the auditorium. My friend Dwayne preached here before. Dwayne Walton stood up, and he said, how many of you guys feel alone this morning? Man, hands went up all over that place. I bet you something similar would happen, not all over the place, but I bet you there's some people in here that feel alone. I want you to know this morning that he's with you. And remember that. Remember he's with us always. I got to close. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So as we close and as we pray this morning, I got simple application. We need to be praying for boldness to go. And remind ourselves that he's with us this morning. Are we a church that's going? I want to remind us once again to ask the question, who am I responsible for and who's responsible for me? That's how we grow as disciples. That's how we grow as disciple makers. Could you answer those two questions this morning? There's practical things. I don't know what you call them here. We call them missional communities, small groups, whatever you call them. Get involved in one and grow life on life with someone else. That's how we grow together. You can't grow in your walk with Jesus, and you can't grow as disciple for one hour on a Sunday morning. It doesn't happen. In order to grow, we've got to walk out these doors and grow together outside of this building. <laughs> and then come back and celebrate every Sunday morning what God did outside these doors. Let's pray.